Titus chapter 2, page 1284, if you have a Schofield Bible. <clears throat> Where are you finding that? A couple little articles here that kind of go along with uh, the message I want to bring. When a man works an eight-hour day and receives for his efforts eight hours' pay, that is a wage. When he competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his superior performance, that is a prize. When he receives something in recognition for his meritorious service or achievement, that is an award. But when a man can earn no wage, can win no prize, and deserves no award, yet receives such a gift, that is unmerited favor, that is undeserved kindness, that is grace. There's a story told of Alexander the Great, a general in his army was a great favorite with him, told him to draw anything from his treasury that he wanted. Well, he presented a bill to the treasurer, and the treasurer wouldn't honor it. It was such an enormous amount that the treasurer was astonished. The general went rushing to the emperor and told him, and he called the treasurer and said, Didn't I tell you to honor the draft of the general? But replied the treasurer, Do you understand its amount? Never mind what it is, replied the emperor. He honors me and my kingdom by making a great draft. And so we honor God by asking for grace in abundance. I tell you, my friends, it is a pity there are so many half-starved, mean Christians around when God says, Come and get all you want. D.L. Moody gave that story. Book of Titus, chapter 2. And verse 11, the Bible said, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will, that I affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, is 
I bow before you today. Lord, I do want to thank you for another privilege that we have to meet with your people. Thank you, Lord, for the songs of praise and all that's happened thus far. And I pray, oh God, that you'd help me now to be a blessing uh, to, to the people. I pray you give me wisdom and understanding, give me physical strength, and Lord, clearness of thought and speech. And may I say what ought to be said. God, I pray you'd help me to refrain from saying anything I should not say. Lord, I pray you deal with hearts, save that one that's lost without God. Bring them to Christ today. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak to you on God's abundant grace today. And the word abundant means over and above. And I'm glad God's grace is all sufficient. Well, there have been different definitions given of grace. Uh, some use uh, each letter, God's riches at Christ's expense, which I think is a good uh, definition of grace. But I think the greatest definition is right here in chapter 3 and verse 4, where he says, But after that the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. I don't think you can improve on that. That's what grace is. Now, grace is an Old Testament as well as a New Testament doctrine. It is an Old Testament doctrine in the fact that it is used in 38 verses in the Old Testament. And uh, we find that the Bible says in Genesis 6 and verse 8 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Moses found grace in Exodus 33 and verse 17. Ruth found grace in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 2 and verse 10. One of the clearest illustrations, I think, in the Bible of the grace of God is the story of Ruth, a Moabite who had no claim to Israel and the promises that God had made to Israel and yet was saved by the grace of God. Israel found grace in the wilderness, according to Jeremiah 31 and verse 2. Well, these are just a few of the illustrations from the Old Testament of the grace of God. Now it's used 156 times and of those 156 the Apostle Paul uses it 110 times in his writings here inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now we'd like to notice first of all the saving grace of God. In verse 11 he said, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. May I say to you, that's the only thing that does bring salvation is the grace of God. Good works don't bring salvation. Baptism doesn't bring salvation. Church membership doesn't bring salvation. Or numerous other things that are being taught. The grace of God, the Bible says here, brings salvation. And the Bible said it's appeared to all men. Now in verse 4, uh, through 6 of chapter 3, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 7, that being justified, we should be made ours according to the hope of eternal life. So salvation is by grace. In Romans 3 and verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
Salvation is free. There's nothing you can do for salvation. I mean nothing, absolutely nothing, except receive it as a gift. And he says we're justified freely by his grace. You remember when God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and he told them, of every tree of the garden, thy mayest freely eat. Adam and Eve had done nothing uh, to obtain the fruit. They had done nothing uh, for the garden. God created all this and God placed them in there and God said, now it's yours for the taking. All they had to do was receive it. And they, uh, of course, uh, the devil comes to Eve there and, and said, uh, what did God say? And Eve said, of every tree of the garden uh, we may eat. God didn't say that exactly, did he? God said there's a great difference. And so we're justified freely by his grace. In Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 11, and verse 6, and he said, If it be of grace, it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. And if it be of works, it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Now, what is he saying? He's saying in that verse that it is either all grace or no grace. You know, you can't mix it. It's not 90% grace and 10% works. It's not, it's not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and do the best you can. It's not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and turn over a new leaf or be baptized or any of those things that a person ought to do but not as a way of salvation. Salvation is by grace. Salvation is in what Christ did, not in what we do. It's in what Jesus did. That's grace. What is grace? What Jesus did in our place. That's grace. And that's how you get saved. And nobody's ever been saved any other way. Nobody's ever going to be saved any other way. God does not have any other plan. And any other plan of salvation, any other teaching of salvation robs God of his glory and gives the glory to man, see. But salvation by grace gives all the glory to God. And I'm going to heaven for one reason, the grace of God. I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ paid my sin debt on the cross of Calvary when it went through the grave and three days later overcome it and lives forever and provided salvation freely for undeserving sinners. And that's the only reason I'm going. And when I get to heaven, I'll be there as, as a trophy of the grace of God. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith, faith is the channel through which we receive grace. Faith, what is faith? Faith is trust. Faith is believing what God said and believing it to the point you're willing to trust your eternal destiny and what God has said. Now you came to church in your uh, automobile today and I assume that you believe you're, it's going to get you back home. <laughs> And you say, well, man, I, yeah, I believe, I believe it's going gonna, it's gonna to take me back home. 
But you'll never get home till you leave church and go get in it. Then you trust it. Then you trust it. You can sit here all day and say, I believe my car will take me home. You'll never get home. You go get in it. And a person can believe every word of the Bible and believe, believe that Jesus died, believe he was buried, believe he rose from the dead, believe everything I believe and you believe and still never go to heaven till you receive it. I told you about the fellow at the radio station before. He said Christ died for everybody. I said, that's right, he did. He paid, he, paid, he paid for everybody's sin. Is that not right? That is right. Then everybody's saved. No, that's not right. Everybody's not saved. You're not saved, you receive it. You can go to the doctor and the doctor can write a prescription. You get the prescription filled, you go home, you set your pills on the table there and say, well, doctor... Doctor told me what was wrong, gave me a prescription, said if I take the medicine, I'd get better. A week later, the pill's still sitting there. Say, man, what's wrong with you? Why don't you take your medicine? Well, I went to the doctor, and he told me, you know, what was wrong with me, and gave me a prescription, but I'm still not any better. <laughs> well, you won't get better till you take the medicine, see. And so faith Faith is believing what God has done for you and believing what God has said and then putting your trust in it and receiving it. You have to receive Christ. You have to trust Him. We're saved by grace. And it's all grace. Completely, totally, all grace. And the only people that are saved, only people that are saved today is those that are saved by grace and those that are trusting Christ and Christ alone to get them to heaven. That's the only people that are saved. Everybody else is lost. Everybody's lost. I don't believe that. Everybody. That's trusting anything except Christ or anything in addition to Christ. They're all lost, according to the Bible. Not according to this preacher. I'm not the judge, but according to the Bible, the only way to be saved is by grace. Now, not only are we saved by grace, but there is securing grace. Now, in verse 7, that being justified by His grace, we should be made ours according to the hope of uh, eternal life. Now, the only ones that have eternal salvation are those that are saved by grace. And that's the only way that, uh, that you can know you're saved. You know, I, I'm saved and I'm saved forever and I have absolute assurance of it. You say, how can you be so sure? Because it's of grace. If it was of anything else, I could never be sure. If, it's, if, it, if it depends on what I do, then I could never have assurance of my salvation. And the Bible would be... Uh, would be given a promise I could never, I could never uh, really uh, uh, obtain. Now sometimes we're criticized because we believe when God saves you, He saves you forever. But you see, when I believe salvation is in Jesus Christ, if my salvation depends on what Jesus Christ did for me, if that's my hope of heaven, then I can have assurance. But if it depends on anything I do, I could never be sure I'm saved, could I? And 1 John, 
would be wrong because he said, I wrote these things that you may know that you have eternal life. What kind of life? Eternal life. How long is that for? That's for eternity. You mean the Bible makes a pro such a promise? that I not only can be sure I'm saved today, but I can be sure that I'll be saved 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 100 years from now. I can be sure I'll be just as saved then as I am now. I can be sure. That. That's, God makes that me that promise. Now, I mean, what if, what if I go wrong? <laughs> can I really believe that? Can I really claim that promise? Sure I can. Because salvation is by grace. Salvation is not by works. Salvation is by grace. What Christ did. And it gives us assurance. I want you to turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, we'll see this a little clear here in Ephesians chapter 1. And verse, uh, verse 5. Page 1250. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. The beloved is Christ. He hath made us accepted in Christ. God accepts me through Jesus Christ. Not on who I am or what I do, but I'm accepted in Christ in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins how according to the riches of his grace and then on down in verse 11 in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom he also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession of the praise of his glory. Now the Bible said that that after we heard the word, we believed the word, and then we were sealed with the Holy Spirit, which is the earnest of the down payment, the guarantee. I go down to the car lot. I find the car that I like. I say, I'd like to have this car. But it'll be three or four days before I could, I could get the car. Well, the fellow has the car lot, you know, he... He thinks, well, now, uh, I mean, three or four days, he may come back and he may not come back. Someone else may come along and want to buy the car. He said, okay, if you want the car, give me a couple hundred dollars. And I'll hold the car and I won't sell the car to anyone else till you come back for it. So I give him the $200. If I don't come back, he's got $200 and got the car. But the $200 is, is earnest money. The $200 says, I'll be back. Don't sell the car to anyone else. And when God saves us, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God's promise. He'll finish what he started. Now, God's not finished with us yet. 
the, the, the plan of redemption is not complete. I mean, we still got to live on these old uh, uh, corrupt bodies. That's the reason they get sick and they get old and they die. And, and God's not completing his work yet. He's saved our soul and he's given us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God and God himself has come inside of us to live to guarantee the devil's not going to get us. And it's God's promise and God's guarantee that he'll finish what he started. Now, the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, there's a couple of verses that I dearly love. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 and 5, and uh, that's page 1311. And uh, 1 Peter 1 verse 4 and 5, and he says, uh, uh, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Now you realize God already has a mansion for me. You know, uh, the scripture says in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. God already has an inheritance. He said it's reserved for you. <laughs> Think of that. My inheritance is already there. It's reserved for me. Just like you call up a motel and, and say, I want to reserve a room for such and such a night. And, and uh, you go and you say, I made reservations. They look it up and said, right here it is. It's your name. Occasionally I have made reservations. And, and they say, oh, we have no record of it. Oh, but, but I didn't make reservations. Well, God doesn't make any mistakes. And notice he, may, he says this is reserved in heaven for you. That means no one else can get it. I'm not going to get yours and you're not going to get mine. It's reserved for you. But I like the next verse, verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He keeps inheritance for us and he keeps us for the inheritance. What good would it be if God kept all these mansions in heaven and all this inheritance in heaven if he lost us, if he had nobody to live in it? You know? So he keeps the inheritance for us, he keeps us for the inheritance. If God can keep the inheritance, he can keep you. And the Bible says we're kept by the power of God. We don't keep ourselves. God keeps us. So it's securing grace. Now the grace of God gives you assurance. The grace of God saves you and the grace of God gives you eternal life, eternal salvation, salvation that can never be taken away from you. The president has talked about health insurance, you know. And one of the things that he's requiring is uh, that that can never be taken away. Well, I don't know whether that'll ever happen or not, but I'll tell you one thing that's happened. God said, I'd give you eternal life and it can never be taken away. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Can never be taken away. Now, that's the difference in salvation by grace and those that teach salvation by living right. Now, I believe y'all live right and we're getting to that. But salvation is by grace and salvation secures you. Then he talks about sanctifying grace. We believe in eternal salvation. We believe salvation is forever. Does that mean we believe you can be saved, live, live any kind of old life? 
Well, we don't believe that. I, I don't believe that. No, anyone here believes that. The grace of God does not, the grace of God is not a license to sin. The grace of God makes a new life possible. You can't live right unless you're saved. You know that? I don't care how hard you try. You can't live right unless you're saved. I had a truck driver several years ago. His, some of his buddies had gotten saved, and they'd been talking to him and trying to get him saved. Asked I'd go by and see him. Went by and see him, talked to him about the Lord. I said, you need to be saved. He said, that's right, I do. But I can't. I said, why not? He said, I can't live it. He said, I've been trying for two weeks. And I, I know I can't live right. Now, you know, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to make a profession and then not live right. And there's a verse in Galatians 2.20 that said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I said, these buddies of yours, I said, they're living right, aren't they? He said, that's right. I said, you, know, you want to know why? Because they got saved, and you're not saved. If you'll get saved, you can live right. <laughs> we bowed, and he received Christ. God changed his life. He had tried to do it on his own before, and he couldn't do it, but when he got saved, it's not us that do it, but it's Christ doing it through us. And here he said, the grace of God that bring us salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we shall live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Does the grace of God teach you live any kind of life? No. It teaches holy living. And when you get saved, you can live right. Ephesians 2, 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The problem is our nature. Just like this pig that they had in the circus. They taught the pig a lot of things. They said that they could put some letters of the alphabet down there and the pig would pick them out. G-O-O-D-P-I-G, good pig. They tied a ribbon around it, kept it all washed and clean. One day it got loose and they began to look for it and found it walling around the mud hole. Now they could teach the pig to do some tricks, but they couldn't change its nature. You see what the problem is with man's nature. We have to get our nature changed. In Romans 5.20, Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I like that. Much more abound. In Romans 6, 1 and 2, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Paul was a preacher of grace. He preached salvation by grace, holy of grace. And they were accusing Paul as they do Bible preachers today and grace preachers today. Well, Paul believes you. Well, you're saved by grace, so just sin all you want to. You're going to heaven anyway. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, no. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You see, God changes your heart. God changes your heart. And when he changes your heart, he changes your life. 
Not in the reverse order. He changes you from the inside out. Now grace does that. In Romans 6.14, he said, For sin shall not have dominion over you. What a promise. Sin will not have dominion over you. Now we that are saved, we fail, we sin. There's none of us but what sin. But we're not enslaved to sin. That's the difference. There's no sin in any child of God's life that they can't overcome by the grace of God. Sin shall not have dominion over you. The key is it cannot dominate your life. It cannot have dominion over you. Yes, we fail. We fall in word, thought, and deed. But sin does not dominate us. That's the difference. And then there's also sustaining grace. In verse 15... Of Titus 3, he said, All that are with me salute thee, greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. We not only need to be saved by grace and kept by grace and, and uh, live separated lives by grace, but we need sustaining grace. And he said, The grace of God be with you. And aren't you glad there's grace for every day? I like the song, New Grace. God's grace is all sufficient. And you know, there will come a time in everybody's life when you'll need the grace of God. Mark it down. There will probably be more than one time. There will probably be many times. There will be times, though, when nobody, nobody can help you but God. Now hear me. There will be times. I mean, people can try to comfort you and try to be there for you and pray for you. But there's times in everybody's life but nobody, nobody but God can help you. I've been there. And many of you have been there. And I don't care who a man is and how, how strong a person may be in themselves comes a time in everyone's life when they'll need the Lord. There is an abundant supply. The key is knowing how to access this grace. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse uh, 16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now you have to be a child of God to access this, this throne of grace. And in, in uh, Romans 5, 2, he says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Now there's a throne of grace where there's an abundant supply. But I'm afraid a lot of God's people don't even try to access it. I heard, I read a story one time about this lady that, uh, that lived on the streets, lived in a cardboard box, ate out of the garbage cans, and when she died, they began to try to research and 
and they found out that she had a bank account in excess of $100,000. And she was out there living on the street, living in a cardboard box and eating out of the garbage when she had all this money in the bank. But she wouldn't access that money in the bank and lived on the streets. And sometimes we as God's people, we go through trials and problems and they're going to come. Mark it down. They're going to come. And God has all the grace that we need and we worry and wring our hands when the throne of grace is there available. And God said, it's yours, child. I have a, God has a huge bank account of grace. And whenever you need it, the Lord says you come boldly to it. You don't have to shy away. You don't have to come, uh, come you know, uh, hesitantly. But you can come to the throne of grace and you can access it at any time. What a promise. Sustaining grace. In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always have in all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. You know, he, he talks about uh, financial need. Uh, you, may, you may come to that place sometime. And this church here, Paul writes and says, God has everything you need. Talk to him about it. Now, what a promise. That if I, if I have financial problems in my life, that I can go to the Lord with them. That's a promise. I can take them to the Lord. Then the Bible teaches in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, He said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul was had this thorn in the flesh. And we may have a thorn. We may have a sickness come in our life. And we'll need the grace of God. God may not remove the trial. God may not remove the sickness. But if God doesn't remove it, he'll give the grace you need to bear it. I believe that. And when you have to pass through the valley of the shadow of death, God's grace is all sufficient. I've told you about the passing of my mother many years ago now. And I had preached a lot of funerals up to that time and I had tried to comfort and minister to other people. And I, threw, I thought I knew how they felt. I thought I could sympathize with them. I thought I could understand their feelings, but I could not until one day I sit where they sit and I felt what they felt. And then I knew. But I want to say to you that I never sensed the presence of God and the grace of God any more real in my life than I did in those moments. And there were times when she was in the hospital in those dying days and I had to get alone by myself and get off in a corner somewhere and say, God, I don't understand all this. And I'd always been taught, don't ever ask the Lord why. Then I began to look at the Bible. And Jesus Christ himself on the cross says, My God, my God, why? Hast thou forsaken me? You know, a lot of things preachers tell you, you find out when you read the Bible, it not so. And I found God wasn't offended when I didn't understand. 
God wasn't offended when I asked him why. Lord, I don't understand this. I can't understand what you're doing. I, I don't know why this is happening. And there will probably be times in your life when you'll have to face that, and I know many of you have. And you may not understand. But I can say this. God makes no mistakes. God will be with you during those dark days and those valleys and those hard times. And when you yourself have to cross the Jordan, when you have to cross, uh, we use Jordan, it's really not a perfect type there, but when you have to go leave this world and pass to the other side, if you're a child of God, God will not fail you. I know that for sure. Sometimes we worry about dying and it bothers us. The thought of death bothers us. But I want to say to you, when it comes time to die, God's grace will be all sufficient. He'll not fail you. I know that absolutely, positively for sure. You say, I don't have dying grace. You don't need it yet. <laughs> I was hearing my college preach on the tapes and he was telling about this dear old lady that uh, he went to visit. The, I think she was in the hospital home. She was dying. And uh, she, uh, she began to talk. Don't you hear the music? He said, I don't hear anything. Don't you see the angels? He said, i never seen nothing. She went on to be of the Lord and said, I, I got along by myself. And I said, God, Lord, I didn't hear nothing. And I didn't see nothing. Lord, why couldn't I hear? And why couldn't I see what she saw? And he said, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I didn't come for you. <laughs> I didn't come for you. When I come for you, it'll be real to you too. And when it comes time for you to go, God will not fail you. We need sustaining grace. I remember Brother Johnson, a short time before he went to heaven, tears in his eyes, he said, Preacher, I'm trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ. I said, it'll not fail you. <laughs> and it didn't. We need sustaining grace. And then finally, we need serving grace. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a pure people zealous of good works. In chapter 3, verse 8, this is a faithful saying, These things I will, that thy firm constantly, they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. The grace of God, what's the purpose in it? Why does God save us? He saves us for His own glory, but He saves us to serve. Paul said, By the grace of God I am what I am. 
a man that had been brought up in all the best training, the best schooling of his day, and yet remained unsaved. And God saved him, and he said, God's grace was bestowed upon me, and it was not in vain, because God has used my life. In Hebrews 12, 28, Wherefore we receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. The last verse in the Bible, Revelation 22 and verse 21, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Think of that. When God closes out the Bible, you know what he talks about in the very last sentence of the Bible, the very last verse of the Bible, he talks about his grace. This Bible is a book of grace. I want to close with this illustration. I read happened many years ago in uh, Kentucky, I believe it was. And my house caught on fire. And the lady was able to escape the house, but she was terrified, and they had to restrain her from going back in that burning house because she says, my baby is in the house upstairs. I have to get my baby. But the flames were coming out the doors and the windows. And it would have been all look like it. it would have been almost certain death for her to run back in that building. But there was a, before anyone realized what was happening, there was a kind of a beggar in that town rushed in that house up those stairs through those flames and knocked the window out and got that baby out, came back through those flames and handed that baby into the arms of that mother. And they noticed a gash in his head where he had uh, cut it over the broken window. And then he seemed to disappear. No one understood what had happened to him. The lady tried to find him, to find, thank him, could not find him. Many years passed. She moved out in the countryside and became quite prosperous and she was cooking dinner one day for some of the men that worked on the farm there. And there was a knock at the door and uh, there was a shabbily dressed beggar standing there. And he asked for a handout. And she said, I'm so busy. I, I've got to get dinner ready. The men are waiting. He began to relate the story. He says, Did you not live at such and such a place years ago? And, uh, the house was on fire. And someone run in that burning house and rescued your little baby girl. And he lifted his hat and there was a scar on his face. He said, I was that man. And of course it broke her heart. She 
said, I've been trying to find you all these years. Thank you. Come in. Sit at the table. You know, that's what Jesus Christ did for us. He went through the fires of hell on that cross. And he has the wounds in his hands and his feet to remind us what he done for us. That's grace. Do you know him today? Let's bow our heads, please.